Well, good morning. It's been too long. <laughs> Just got to take a minute, taking all these beautiful faces, my friends and church family. It is really good to be, uh, to be back. You know, Chelsea and I and the family were gone for two months, which is a long time. And, uh, and uh, we packed a lot into two months, and it was a great time, but it's, uh, it's, it's uh, great to be back and uh, to be with my church family that I uh, love so much. You know, we did some traveling. We did some, uh, I did some home projects. Uh, I got to do some study on stuff I don't, wouldn't necessarily have time to study at other times. And I spent a lot of time in prayer for our church. And I'm just really excited as I come back. You know, the prayer is always, may I come back refreshed, re-energized with vision from the Lord. And, uh, and, I, and I really feel that in my heart that God has been gracious, and, uh, he, and, uh, and he's uh, ready to, to move among our church to continue to use us and even bring us into new and great places for his glory. So just in light of that, let me take a minute and uh, pray for us, and then we'll get started in the sermon today. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, it is great to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. God, we come together, uh, even though we're, we, in many ways, are very different, different ages, different backgrounds, different life experiences, but we've got the most important thing in common, and that, and that is that you are our Heavenly Father. And God, I thank you for the bond that we share because of that. I thank you that uh, we can love one another because you first loved us. And God, we do thank you that you love us. In fact, we come before you right now and ask, ask, we ask with confidence based on that love that you would speak to us and that you would minister to us, that we, as we open up your word, that you would come and, and uh, for our good and for your glory, that you would be active and that you would be our teacher. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we notice when we open up God's word and we begin to re read about the life of Jesus is that Jesus, when he came into this world about 2,000 years ago, he came into a very religious world with a lot of religious people. There were religious leaders of all shapes and sizes, stripes and colors. In the Gospels, we read about uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes, teachers of the law, uh, religious zealots. There were all kinds of people who were religious bigwigs. Those that love their position of uh, religious authority. In fact, one of the things we see is that the Pharisees especially, they love to uh, wear their long flowing robes and go into the temple and pray these long pious prayers to get the attention of all the people. They would give these big gifts to ha uh, so that they could receive credit for their own righteousness. And in many ways it worked. People respected them. They had the background, they had the authority, they had the reputation that would have made their mamas proud. Like these people were respected. Now, if I was to uh, come into the world like Jesus did, you would think, you would imagine that he'd start with these religious leaders. He'd go to the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, there's got to be some good ones among them. And he'd start with them, those that already had the respect of those in the community, and he'd work his way out from there. But Jesus, when he comes to this world, into this world, he has a very different strategy. He doesn't go to the most well-respected. In fact, in some cases, people that he call, calls uh, to come and 
follow him are on the opposite end. They're not well-respected in the community. They're hated in the community. Like I'm thinking of Matthew, uh, for one, a tax collector. You know, he didn't have a good job where people would love him. In fact, he had a job that where people would hate him. They'd come and take their money and swindle them out of a little bit more than what they really owed the government. He chose these disciples. We would call the disciples, the, the, the closest ones we call the 12 disciples. And they were not the cream of the crop. In fact, they were the opposite of that. They were, they were nobodies. They had no reputation. They had no religious uh, background. They had no religious education. They didn't have the respect of the community. They were a ragtag group of people, a motley crew if there ever was one. Uh, Of the 12 disciples, we know that at least four of them were fishermen. The first four that Jesus calls are fishermen. Could have been as many as seven. We don't know for sure. There's one tax collector that I mentioned. There's one political zealot who had been the opposite end of the tax collector. And then the rest, we assume, were farmers or tradesmen or craftspeople or or day laborers. They were from an agrarian uh, community. But all of them had normal, everyday jobs. They were normal, everyday people. The reason I bring all of that up is because I think it gives us some encouragement that if God could use these 12 men, ordinary men, to make a significant difference in the world, which he did, then surely God could take us in our limited abilities, in our ordinariness, and he could use us in significant ways as well. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say something uh, to this effect, that I am so limited. Even if God loves me, I'm not much used to him. I'm limited in my talents, my knowledge, in my gifts, in my time, in my abilities, in my energy, in my personality, dot, dot, dot. The list could go on and on. We think that we don't have much to offer God. We're so limited, and that may be true. And, we could, and the reason I put the uh, dot, dot, dot is because we can continue to add to all of those things. In and of ourselves, we know that we are so limited. Even if we don't say that, it may be in the back of our minds. Today we start, start a new sermon series called imperfect disciples. Imperfect disciples. I've been away on my sabbatical, so Pastor Darren came up with this sermon series, and I think he uh, nailed it on the head because this is something that we need to hear for our own lives. This is God's normal MO, that he takes people that are limited, that don't have it all together, that, uh, that are imperfect, and he says, uh, I'm going to use that person. You've maybe heard it said, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And we've heard it, we, we say it so much, it almost becomes cliche. But it is true that God calls us out of our imperfections and uh, he equips us to make a difference in this world. So it doesn't matter how inexperienced we are, or how much we know, or how old we are, or how young we are, or how talented, or how gifted we are, God wants to use us as imperfect disciples. Okay, so let's ground this in Scripture. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and and today we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. 
And uh, so I love to hear those pages turning. Uh, Take out your device if that's the way you read the Bible. That's fine. You know, before I went on my sabbatical, we didn't have this screen, which I'm very happy for the screen. But I I still think there's tremendous value in having this open before us. And uh, so the words will be on the screen, but I encourage you to to keep the Bible open before you because we're going to keep going back to the text We always ground everything we say in what God's Word says. Because I know full well, you don't give two cents uh, uh, what I think. Uh, You don't don't care at all what I think, and and you shouldn't. What we want to do is we want to hear from the Lord. Okay, this is God's Word, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, starting at verse 26. And I'll read to the end of the chapter, then we'll pause, say a few things, and come back to chapter 2. Brothers and sisters... Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let me just say that again. This This is what is in us through Christ Jesus. He is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think these words are just as true for us today as they were for the Corinthian Christians in the first century. Paul says uh, here, think back to uh, who you were before God came into your life. He says, not many of you were wise, influential, had high standing in society. And I think for most of us, we'd raise our hand and say, yeah, that's me. But even if, it, even if we d- did consider ourselves wise or influential or having high uh, standing, do you really think that the Almighty God looked down from heaven and thinks, wow, now that person impresses me. I've got to have that person in my life. How am I going to keep the world together, the universe in order, without so-and-so in my camp? How, I, I got to get Pastor Corey because everything is going to fall apart otherwise. Heck no. Compared to God and his perfection, God doesn't need any of us. In fact, uh, it says here in this passage that when God came into, us, into our life, it was not because we desperately It was not because he desperately needed us. It was actually for the exact opposite reason. Because we desperately needed him. It says that he intentionally chooses the wise. I mean, he intentionally chooses the lowly, the despised, the weak, and the foolish. And why does God do that? It says that he chooses the foolish, weak, lowly, and despised to shame the ways of the world and to show how great he is. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I like the way 2 Corinthians 4, 7 puts it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
In the first century, jars of clay were very common. They were as common as a paper cup would be to us today. You know, you get a, a, dime, a, a dime a dozen. You can pick them up anywhere. Now, some clay jars, they would refine, they'd put in the kiln, they'd paint, they'd very beautiful. But, for the, but the large majority of them were just cheap uh, clay jars that would become easily cracked, become brittle. You'd use them for a time, and then you'd crumple them up, and you'd throw them away like we would a paper cup. Needless to say, you, you wouldn't keep your most expensive jewelry in an everyday clay jar. But this verse says that God puts his treasures in jars of clay. You and I are jars of clay, my friends. Before God, we are cracked and chipped and imperfect in so many ways, and yet God chooses to store his most precious possessions in you and I. And he does that when we become Christians, when we place our faith in Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never made that decision. He comes in just a moment to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and, and be in charge of my life. We give our lives and our hearts to Jesus. And when, he, and when we do that, in that moment, we are saved and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, God comes to live within us. And he brings all of God's precious treasures he brings his power, his love, his grace, his righteousness, his holiness. It all gets stored within us. Why? Again, the verse says, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So when we think of ourselves as limited, as not having much intellectual ability or not having it all together or being imperfect in one way or another— God says, good, because you're a jar of clay. And that means my power and my perfection can shine through you all the more clearly. You see, I, uh, see this, is, this just transforms the way we think about our relationship with God and our ability to make a difference in this world. Because God loves to use people in their weaknesses in their limitations. In fact, when we think we got it all together, we actually are taking a step back, and that's when we are not open to God moving within us. But when we recognize that it is God in us, it gives us confidence to step out in faith, to serve him in a new way, to, to witness to that friend that doesn't know Jesus, because we know that it doesn't matter unnecessarily the words that we use, God's going to take and either give us the words or use our hum own humble efforts to make a difference. God, we, we're, we're intimidated to take a stand for God in our school or in our workplace. And God says, that's okay. Step out in faith because, it's, because I'll give you the strength. We're simply jars of clay that God uses to show his all-surpassing power. It's of God, and it's not of ourselves. So this passage, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, has told us that God chose us while we were limited, imperfect. And then we move on to chapter 2, and we now, uh, now, now, now that we've looked behind us, 
now we look ahead of us, and Paul's going to emphasize now that we are saved, we continue to rest on God's power. We continue to be humble so that God's power can continue to shine through us. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul, when Paul writes this, he's been a Christian for a long time. In fact, what he says here, I'm com- I, I think, come on, Paul, enough with the false humility. Like, you do have a lot of eloquence and wisdom. Uh, you read the New Testament books, that so many of them are written by Paul, and, uh, and it seems so persuasive, so wise, have so much depth to it. But Paul says, it's not me. It's God in and through me. He says, don't let your faith rest on me or any other person. Let it rest on God. You see, when we become Christians, when God calls us out of our imperfection, our limitations, our sinfulness, and he gives us new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and fills us up, we don't want to stay where we were at. In fact, we want to grow in our knowledge, right? We want to grow in our righteousness and our holiness. We want to grow in our abilities and our talents and all of those things. But the challenge here is don't then begin to rely on those things. See, the Christian life is a process of sanctification. We become more and more like Christ. But part of the sanctification process is we learn to trust in Jesus more and more. We don't transfer to say, now that I'm in God's camp, now I got it all together. Now that I've been a Christian for 20 years or whatever, now I can begin to rely on my known knowledge. No, in fact, if we were to grow in the faith, we realize that part of that growth is growth in humility and growth in dependence upon the Lord. Humble yourselves, therefore, Peter says, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So much of what we're talking about here uh, this morning is having a right perspective about ourselves, right? Like we talk about our limitations, we talk about God's power in us, we're talking about how we view ourselves, our own self-image. Our understanding of not only who God is, but who we are is crucial to our faith. It's right central. Like we have to have a right understanding of who God is and who we are, especially if we are children of his. And that's so central that I've noticed so often time, I've noticed so many times that Satan loves to come and to try to take us off of God's truth in this exact uh, point. He loves to try to uh, help us to, to try to cause us to think of ourselves wrongly. And he has two, and Satan has two strategies to take us off of God's truth when it comes to our own self-image in Christ. And, and both of them are like opposite ends of the spectrum. On one end, uh, Satan comes and he whispers lies into, into our ear that make us think that we are so good. 
And he tries to uh, make us think, I'm righteous. Look at me compared to these other people. He makes us think of us ourselves as so good, and, and pride sneaks in. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, he makes us think that we are no good, that God could never love us or never use us. So it's either no good or so good. And both of us, both of them, pull us away from God's love and pull us away from our ability to be used by God. If we think of ourselves as so good, we think of ourselves as righteous, and, and uh, we begin to compare ourselves to others. We're like the Pharisee in Luke 18 that, said, that prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fa fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. In other words, look at me. And that's the reason Paul, that's the reason Jesus didn't come for the Pharisees. The pride was rooted so deep, they thought of themselves as so good. But then I also think we can become vulnerable to the temptation of no good. That we think of ourselves as too lowly. So we think of ourselves as awful. And, and it robs us from finding our identity in Christ in his love, that, to think that we are no good. Now, I'll just pause here because I think this temptation is fertile ground in our world today with so much social media. When you're on Facebook and on Instagram, that is fertile ground for t uh, Satan to come and uh, to say that you are not as good as so-and-so. You get out your Facebook feed and uh, you're, and you're scanning through it, and you see that so-and-so has lost 20 pounds in three days. <laughs> and you see these people's uh, stunning pictures of their vacation, and, and you keep scrolling through, and, uh, and, and the mom that you see at the park, she's uh, on, on, on her Instagram feed, she's made these Pinterest-inspired preschool snacks, and they look so good, and you keep going, and this guy's done his CrossFit workout of the day, and this gal has grown, home, uh, grown vegetables and laid them out on these cool raised uh, planners that people make, and it looks so good. They, she serves it on her country-style kitchen table that she crafted over the weekend from some pallets she found behind Home Depot, and it just goes on and on and on, and eventually we get to think, I can't do any of that. I'm no good. You know, we got to uh, be careful for all of this because we can use social media to pump ourselves up and to make ourselves look so good, or Satan can use social media to try to pull us away and think, I'm no good. And both are lies. We have to keep coming back to ground ourselves, not in what the internet says about us or says about someone else, but in what God says about us in his, in his word. And what does God says? God says that you are an imperfect disciple. Imperfect, yes, but a disciple. A disciple is loved by God. A disciple uh, follows Jesus. A disciple steps out in faith to be used by God. We are imperfect. We're limited. Yes, that's true. But that does not mean that God cannot use us or that God does not uh, want to work in our lives. And so God is challenging us today to see ourselves as he sees us. And I just want to pause before I move on to my last point to ask yourself, 
What temptation, what lie might you be more prone to? The so good or the no good? You have your, uh, do you have a tendency, as I think so often we do, to kind of find ourselves into an area of pride, and that keeps us from God or keeps us from serving another person, especially those that we find difficult to serve, that we might subconsciously think are beneath, beneath us? Or are we more prone to the no good, that God could never love me, that that I've, that I've done so much evil that it's pulled me away from being used by God. Both are lies that we need to put out of our mind and then to embrace God's truth. So this is the idea of imperfect disciples. And it, uh, it doesn't start with just Jesus and his 12. In fact, this is, the, this is the pattern that we see run through all the way throughout Scripture. And I wish we had time to look at Abraham and David and Moses and Jonah, and the list goes on and on. But I'll just highlight one. And, uh, and this is Noah. Noah's been on my mind. Okay, the reason, first of all, Noah's been on my mind is over our sabbatical, we went to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And uh, it's a life-size replica of the Ark. And they try to use the Old Testament dimensions that are given. Uh, and, and so to, tri- to, to put it into everyday measurements, this Ark is... 510 feet wide, uh, 85 feet, uh, 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet uh, tall, high. And uh, it's three levels, just like it says in the Old Testament, and we walked through it, and it was, it was impressive, and we're like, is that the way it really was? But at least it jogs your mind. And uh, so we read with uh, the, the kids and I and, and Chelsea, we read the Noah story several times, and one of the things that uh, jumps out at the story is, is it says God's going to destroy the whole world by a worldwide flood because it was so evil. But Noah and his family, eight in total, would be saved because Noah was a righteous man. And so we get Noah built up as a hero in our faith, a hero in our mind, this hero of faith. Now, my views of Noah, I'll have to admit, they shifted a little bit when I met a guy by the name of Dale Harley. I was working in a ministry called The Clothes Closet when I was like in my early 20s. I was probably like 22 years old. And The Clothes Closet was a ministry that we'd give clothes and food to those in need. And so one uh, week, Dale came into The Clothes Closet and, uh, and I helped him get some clothes and some food. And as I always did before someone left, I asked, is there anything I can, else I can help you with? And Dale said, you know what, there's one more thing that uh, I'd like you to help me with. I just got out of prison, and I want to get my life right with God, but I don't know anything about God, and I don't know how to read my Bible. Uh, would Would you read the Bible with me? Now, I was 22 years old, half the age of this guy. He just got out of prison. I'd never had a traffic ticket. And uh, if any time you feel inadequate, I was inadequate without a doubt. Uh, But for some reason, I stepped out in faith. I said, yeah, I'll get together and read the Bible with you. Now, if someone uh, came to me like that today, I'd say, let's start in the Gospel of John. Back then, I had no clue where to go or what to do. I thought, you read a book, you start at the beginning, right? So we started in Genesis, and we read about creation and the fall and these things. And then in chapter 6, we get to the story of Jonah. Or I mean, not Jonah, I'm sorry. Uh, we get to the story of, uh, of Noah. 
And uh, we start reading about Noah and him being a righteous man, and we read, and I say, okay, finish the Noah story in chapter 8, and then we'll get together next week and talk. Dale came to me next week, and his face was glowing. Like, you could tell something happened. I said, Dale, what's up? He said, I became a Christian. I gave my life to God. I said, wow, what happened? He said, I finished the Noah story. And I said, oh, that makes perfect sense. Noah, this righteous man who was saved from God, that's got to be it, right? Dale said, no, no, no. It's because after he got out of the ark, he got drunk and he laid naked in his tent. And he said, if God can love and, uh, and use a guy like Noah, then surely he can love and use a guy like me. And that was how Dale got saved. And it was awesome. And, uh, and then every Friday night, we would gather in his living room and uh, have Bible study. And eventually there was dozens of people from the community because Dale invited them all. And Dale did, and God did use Dale in a spectacular way. And I'm so glad that I had a, that, that God, that God, that I was involved in all of this because it changed my perspective on a lot of things. First of all, I saw Noah differently. And then I saw a guy like Dale differently that had a rough background. And God could use him in such spectacular ways. In fact, it got cemented in my mind that, that those that go through the most difficult things in life are oftentimes the ones that God will use the most. And, and I'm all, as a pastor, I'm always looking for those that recognize their weakness, that recognize their limitations, because those are the ones that God's going to use the most. And then it also helped me to see myself differently. Because I was a naive 22-year-old that didn't know where to start in the Bible. And yet God used me and my limitations to make a difference in this one guy's life. And I'm really uh, thankful for that. Today God is challenging you to step out in faith. To believe that God loves you just as you are and can use you with all your limitations and imperfections. In fact, there are people in your life that you know and that you care about, maybe even don't care about, but there are people in your life that God wants to reach through you. Would you be willing to serve? Would you be willing to love the person that's hard to love? Would you be willing to witness and to share Jesus' love with that person? Would you be able to stand up for God and to recognize that, yeah, you don't have it in and of yourself, and that's perfectly okay because you're a clay pot, and God loves to shine his all-surpassing power through you. And then as a church, I think God is challenging us to see ourselves as being used by God in this community and among our family and friends, because it would be awfully easy for us to think of ourselves as limited. We're too small. We don't have enough talent. We do this or that. And these are all lies from Satan. God wants to challenge us to step out in faith, to love, to evangelize, to serve, to invite our family and friends because they need the love of Jesus. You know, as I was on my sabbatical, I thought about this. West Covina Christian Church is placed here in this community for a reason. And, we, and when, oftentimes when we go around and we knock on doors, 
most people don't, know, don't go to church. In fact, the largest church in our city moved out of the city a couple months ago. Faith Community is no longer in West Covina. There are a lot of people who need to be involved in a church because they need to experience the family of God. They need to experience Christian community. In fact, they don't know what they're missing out on. And God is calling us, imperfect as we are, to step out in faith as imperfect disciples, to invite people, to when people come, to just lavish them with God's love because they need to know Jesus. Yes, we're not perfect, but God can use us because God loves to use imperfect disciples. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for uh, the truths that we've seen in your word today. And uh, God, I pray that you would impress these truths upon our hearts. Um, God, help us not to just uh, leave this sanctuary uh, with, without applying this word to our lives. In fact, uh, I just want to pause right now as I'm praying, and, uh, and I'm going to give each of you just an opportunity to ask God individually, personally, in prayer, God, what do you want me to do? And uh, so, so just go before the Lord and, uh, and receive from him what he has for you today. God, we thank you that you call us to be your disciples, imperfect as we are. May God, you give us strength and grace to be able to be used by you to make a difference in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.